This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 157, I Love Leverage, I Love Liquidity, with Matt Shanlian. Traditional financial planning is no longer working, and in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm so glad you are deciding to spend some of your very important time with me today. I understand how important and special these times are for me and for you each week. I think this week's episode will not disappoint. As usual, we have some incredible content to cover together today. Now, what if you had some news that would absolutely change or upend your friend or even a family member their livelihood? What if it changed their the, the basic trajectory of their life? And even more to the point, what if it absolutely rattled their worldview straight to the core? Would you still share that news? Would you still share that idea? Or would it, the weight of it all, just have you shrink back? That's my question I have for you today. You know, if you knew, for example, that you had the cure for cancer and you could take that news, but it would mean everyone had to stand on their head for a full hour every day. Would you still share that news? I don't know, man, that's a tall ask to stand on my head for an hour every day. (laughs) I mean, that's the kind of thing that financial professionals are unwilling to share, but the not so average financial professionals are more than willing to bring to bear, bring the truth to bear, even if it means doing things different than what we're used to. And I would say our guest today is no different. Matt Shanlian has some news that I think will upend a lot of people's perspectives on their financial life, specifically related to their home. So who is Matt Shanlian? Matthew received his bachelor's degree in finance from Liberty University before working full-time in the mortgage industry starting in 2007. Matthew began as a loan officer assistant and has worked his way up to division president with Primary Residential Mortgage. Matthew is a nationally recognized speaker, a frequent podcast guest, and also serves on the board of directors for NIME, which is a nonprofit financial services education organization. These activities have helped him earn the achievement of being ranked by Mortgage Executive Magazine as a top 1% mortgage originator in America. In his time away from the office, Matthew loves serving in his local church children's ministry with his wife, Maria, and together they have three children, all with the letter M, guys. It's an M family, Miles, Millie, and Maverick. So I can't wait for you guys to get to know Matt Shanlian, a great guy, good friend, known him for many years. Take it away, Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. So you're a division president with Primary Residential Mortgage, uh, and you work uh, on financial strategies with your clients and even financial advisors and their clients all across the country. So let's just get all the way into today's headlines. What the heck is happening in the mortgage market? Tell us what's going to, and what's going to happen in the next six months? Just get that crystal ball out. Yeah, I'll do my best to, to share what's happened in the last four months and where I see maybe things that are where they're heading. I'm not a big conspiracy theorists or doomsday so don't worry there's not going to be any 
sky falling at the end of it. But with everything that's happened with this pandemic, leading into the pandemic, the, probably the 30 days leading into the pandemic where really we started to see shutdowns was the mortgage industry saw rates drop pretty quickly. We saw it towards the middle of fourth quarter last year, they dropped, then they settled, and then they really dropped. If we were talking last summer, 12 months ago, interest rates were in the high fours to low 5% for 30-year fixed. Now we're locking loans 12 months later in the high 2%, low 3%. And so that is a big shift in our marketplace, a humongous one, historically speaking. So that was going on, and then we had a global pandemic. And so what happened was a lot of hand-wringing started really early because last time we had a pandemic, or we'll call it a financial pandemic, Fannie and Freddie and a lot of the governing bodies in the lending industry did nothing. They acted like nothing was going to happen. The market will correct itself. And that's why we saw the big you know, mortgage crash in the late 2000s. And so this time it was different. They were very proactive. And so immediately Fannie and Freddie started restricting products, restricting guidelines, raising minimum credit scores to qualify. So a lot of people that had loans maybe even in process were actually told that they couldn't finish their loan because Fannie and Freddie were trying to make sure they weren't manufacturing new mortgages that would go into default early. And so there's all of these changes that happen literally snap overnight. There are things like some banks said, we're not doing any more refinances right now. We're only going to process purchase loans because they didn't want to make these refinances for people who are losing their jobs in the coming months because of this pandemic. So it's a good thing because rates are low that we're busy, but economically speaking, financially speaking, the reason rates are low is that there's a pretty dim outlook on our economy over the next 12 to 18 months. With everything going on with this pandemic and the stock market being very volatile over the last three to four months, record highs, record lows in the same week sometimes. And so when you have that kind of volatility, there's a lot of people that are seeking some safety, some guarantees, some shelter from what's happening out in the real world for, the, for their finances, for their retirement. And so that's keeping rates really low because there's a lot of volatility in the other uh, markets. And so when we see that the track looks like values of homes are staying pretty flat to, to good, meaning we're not seeing a, a downturn in value. So we're seeing this unbelievable amount of interest rate bottoming out in lots of value in homes. And so we're having a lot of families come to us right now. Maybe they've had some debt lingering for 10 years, credit card debt, personal loans, maybe student loans. Maybe you know they didn't have a real financial plan for their kids to go to college or for early retirement or retiring. And they're looking at their home equity to maybe consolidate and start having some excess cash flow to divert towards financial plans. And a lot of families are, are taking advantage of this time. Uh, and so I think for the next six months, 12 months, it's hard to go past that. But I would say the next six months for sure. I think we're going to stay in some pretty uh, good interest rate worlds in the low threes probably for a lot of products. And there's going to be this opportunity in, in for people, if you are servicing high interest rate credit card debt that you're not really paying off, you're just paying a minimum payment. Check and see if you have equity in your house, if you own if you own your home, because this is a great opportunity for you to kind of hit the reset button on your finances, consolidate debt, and then create opportunities for somebody like Mark or some of one of his colleagues to help you 
save extra for retirement, create maybe a supplemental retirement outside of your personal pension that you have with your employer. These are the times when you have to act because it's not going to be a 2.875 forever. It may not be there for another week, but when you can take advantage of all-time low interest rates that create maximum amount of cash flow, that's always going to be a good thing for your future. I think it's an exciting time in the mortgage industry. Right now, it's very busy, but there's a lot of things and a lot of good that we can do for families that are looking to maybe consolidate. Matt, you mentioned several things there, and I want to dive deeper into the philosophy you have of home equity. Yeah. So you mentioned that rates are low. You mentioned that home values are high. And there's some might even say nefarious reasons for both of those things, people with their hand on the dials, so to speak. It's dumbfounding to me and a lot of our clients why the stock market has bounced back so much, why home values have remained constant or even risen. Whereas many Americans, say 15, 20% of Americans are without a job. So that to me would say higher interest rates, lower home values. So speak to that. But then more importantly, tell us when it makes sense to use home equity and when we should keep that money in the drywall. Yeah. Wow. Great question. Yeah. I would consider what we're experiencing, and not just because of the pandemic, but a true anomaly in our markets because generally values and rates follow each other. So high values, high rates, low values, low rates. That's just a general... If you've been in the mortgage industry for, if you charted out for 30 years, you could see a, a, a general trend in that way. And what we're seeing now is this anomaly where, like I said, low rates, high values. And that's to me, when there's an anomaly, like this is a time to take advantage of it because it's an anomaly in a good way for home ownership and home values. And so they have this equity position that is, I don't think going to stay there forever. Or if it does, I don't think our interest rates are going to be there forever. And just a year ago, like I said, we were in the 5% range. And so a lot of this right now is, is artificial. There's just no other way to say it. Our government is doing things that are trying to stave off a recession as best they could. I'm not here to be a political person, so that's not where I'm even going to weigh in on that. I think of my philosophy overall is with home equity is that it should be used proactively. It should have a plan attached to it. So many times that people with their home equity, it's, it's, they use it reactively, meaning my neighbors just moved in and put a pool in and now my wife is jealous. So now I got to pull some money out of my equity. So I put a pool in so I don't feel like I'm behind the neighbors or my kids want to go to college or my kids actually going to college. And you know what? I didn't really save for it. So without a plan, I'm just going to pull out a, a lump sum of money and pay it that way. I propose that we should have a proactive plan towards equity. We should use it as it accumulates for different things, whether it's debt consolidation or building wealth. There's opportunities all the time, I believe, in home equity. Are you, are you looking at your mortgage annually? Do you have a good understanding of where you're at? A lot of times we'll talk to uh, Mark's clients, and sometimes Mark will send us a client and, and watch and say, you know what, the rate's pretty good. Their equity position's pretty solid. I, I wouldn't do anything but we're still reviewing that position annually to make sure that opportunities don't pass them by. And because life happens, everybody has a plan and job loss, or maybe on the other side, there's an inheritance and that was not planned. Making sure that we are always planning 
correctly for the future. Credit card debt is like crippling the American family. The vast majority of families that have credit card debt have about fifteen dollars to $18,000 in credit card debt. If you just make the minimum payment on that, you're not going to pay that off for another 11 years. And that's if you never use that credit card again in 11 years. And so credit cards are this hamster wheel that American families get on. And they're just dumping three, five, seven thousand. You'd be surprised since it's two thousand dollars a month into these credit cards because they didn't have a plan early on and not to beat them up, but they had to use them for specific reasons. But there's no plan to get out of them. And all of that money that's going to those credit card companies on credit cards that have 15 to 20 to 25 percent interest rates is just killing their future retirement. And so we're saying you have 35, 40,000 in credit card debt, and you're paying 700 bucks a month, 800 bucks a month on that. We can consolidate your, that debt and actually maybe even create more cash flow by lowering your interest rate. And we can free up a thousand dollars a month. And now you take that to Mark and Mark, you, you're the professional, you know what to do with unmarked monies that can be helped towards retirement savings. You talk about a family five, 10 years down the road, the difference that can be made in their life because of that debt consolidation, it's enormous. Efficiency in your budget and using the mortgage to be the catalyst to create that efficiency. I see. Got it. It's a kind of a interest rate game. It's a cash flow game. Hey, I've got one debt. I've got credit, credit cards, car loans, student loans, business debt on one pile over here. And on the other side, I've got this very low interest on my relatively secure asset, my home, although there's nothing guaranteed about home values. Mm-hmm. What's the risk of doing a cash out refinance and describe, define for our listeners what that is to, and then uh, tell us the benefits and then the risks of using our home equity to pay off higher interest debt. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. There's different things that families have, you know, that one family may have that isn't hurting them. Another family may have that is absolutely crippling them. And so we want to take a per case basis on a lot of that stuff. But when we talk about a cash out refinance, very simply is you take the balance of what you owe in your home and then you can pull out excess cash as long as you have equity in your home and we can borrow up to 80% of the value of your house. Sometimes I am borrowing 80% and we're pulling out $200,000 because there's a need there with your financial advisor. Sometimes we're taking out twenty-five, dollars $50,000 to consolidate debt and create cash flow. That's why we work so close with Mark because we want to make sure that every mortgage scenario is done correctly to fit that family's needs because you just everybody has different makeups, has different futures, has different retirement plans. And so we're wanting to make sure that we're maximizing the opportunity. So paying off high interest rate credit card debt, I'm always a big proponent of that. I wouldn't do a whole refinance for $3,000 worth. But if you have four or five credit cards and you're over ten dollars or $15,000, and you're looking at it every month going, I'm not really paying this off. Mm-hmm. You need to get out of that cycle, get off that hamster wheel of just throwing money at a place like that, consolidate it and start throwing money at your, towards your retirement. Because what I feel like, and I can harken back to when I was in college, my finance, my last course that I took for my finance degree, it was in global ethics. And my professor said, and we made us write this on the top of every paper we wrote. 
I love leverage and I love liquidity. And he said, if you can fall in love with those two things, you'll be successful in business. And I yeah. think you'll be a successful in your personal finances. And I see so many families under leverage, meaning they don't have any cash on the sideline to pay for things when things go out like the heater or the roof. And they have under liquidity, which means they don't have any cash flow. They're not adding to any kind of security. All their money is in their 401k, a little bit of checking and savings. And then when something bad happens, their real true savings account is Capital One, is mm. American Express, is Chase. And we want to break that cycle because there's so much freedom in not having to utilize credit cards to take care of the big things in life. So there's a, a data statistic from the U.S. Census Bureau saying that the typical American's net worth at age 65 is 194000 bucks. That's pretty good. That won't get you through retirement at all, <laughs> but that's still in the six figures. However, when you remove home equity, the net worth is only 44000 bucks at age 65, mm. Matt. So we've got all of our money tied up in the walls of our house. Now I'm curious, talk to us about Heckam loans. Talk to us about cash out refinances. Talk to us about some of the strategies you offer uh, our clients. We have different loans and different programs for different times. We're talking about the accumulation phase. So like we're saving for retirement. That's when we want to look at cash out refinances to consolidate debt, maybe even pull out lump sums to kickstart supplemental retirement. But this is the time when we want to maximize cash flows. But when we get to the other side of the coin, which is the, the not the accumulation, but the spend down time where you've entered into retirement or maybe semi-retirement, maybe you're still mowing loans on a golf course or something, but you're not, of course, getting your peak income that you used to. We look at the Heckam program and the Heckam is the, I call the surgical term for a reverse mortgage. It's the same program, but the actual acronym is Home Equity Conversion Mortgage, which is a reverse mortgage. So over the age of 62, you're eligible for this kind of loan. And what it does is it allows you to either tap into your equity that you have available to you and not have to pay it back. Or if you still owe a good portion on your home, you're able to utilize the program to pay off your mortgage and not have a mortgage payment anymore, which would increase- Matt, Matt I got to stop you there. That's, that is awesome. So those two things that you just said- are should be like shaking the cobwebs off of many of our listeners, either for your own home equity or for your parents. So say that again. So we can do what with this equity once we're 62 years old, officially, what can we do once we've got, once we've built up all this money in our house, it's trapped in the walls of our house. What are our options at that point? Yeah. Depending on your equity position, you're able to receive the funds of the home equity, you can get it in a lump sum, you can get it in a monthly payment, you can actually establish a line of credit, which means you don't take the cash day one, you leave it in your house and it actually has growth to it. You can set up a line of credit where maybe you don't need a day one, but at 64, maybe you need to utilize that to purchase a car or maybe there's a medical procedure that you need to pay for that's outside of your outside of your insurance. And so what it is, it's access to the equity of your home where you don't have to pay it back. Now I can access, you can access your equity now in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, but every time you access it, you have to pay it back. There's a payment attached to it. A reverse mortgage allows you to do that without any payment. Um, or if you do still own a, or have a balance, we can pay off your mortgage and so that you don't have a payment anymore. And when you get to the fixed income side of your um, life and your retirement, 
if you have a two thousand dollar mortgage payment, we can you know liquidate that two thousand dollars of post tax money. I can tell you too, but that's a big deal for most families. And so there's a lot of flexibility with the products, a lot of application. It's really per case basis. I hate to keep saying that, but we have helped people from who are on a very low fixed income after their spouse passed. I've done reverse mortgages for millionaires. I've done reverse mortgages for millionaires, literal full, still working full-time millionaires. I've done reverse mortgages for people who were millionaires that live in $2 million homes that don't want to leave the house they lived in for 40 years to go live in an assisted living facility or basically a hotel room. Matt, there's a lot of stigma attached to reverse mortgages in the world. I think it has something to do with late night infomercials, but dispel what makes this different than what maybe people um, have heard about or read about. I've read even many PhDs in retirement research. For example, Wade Fowle, who uh, I quote pretty regularly on our Mm -hmm. podcast, And by the way, guys, kudos to you for listening to a podcast where we quote PhDs in retirement research. That is, that's because of you guys. So way to go, guys. That's the revolutionaries who listen to our show, Matt. But why is it that we're talking about reverse mortgages as a tax-free stream of income, as a stream of uh, cash where we can live in our house payment-free? Why does the bank offer this? How is this not a scam? Just dispel some myths for us. Our industry as a whole has really misunderstood the product up until about seven years ago. For a lot of years, rightfully so, there was some there was some bad blood in the community about the product because it was sold, like you said, a late night infomercial, a call center. Hey, I got a flyer in the mail. I called an 800 number and this guy told me I could take that Mediterranean cruise I always wanted to take if we just do this reverse mortgage and they didn't really explain it. What they've changed over the last seven, eight years is there's been some added protections put on for the borrower. One of the things that they do is every reverse mortgage has a counseling step. So this, these families, this, the, the spouses or the single person have to actually go to a third-party counselor where they drill them on the product, make sure they don't understand what's going on. If they don't have the mental faculties to complete it, they won't let them do a, a mortgage. Or if I sold them on something that was really not true or a half-truth, it'll be brought up in that counseling session and they won't get a certificate. And so there's some great protections for the borrower in that. What happened in the last 15 years of the product where people were not really explained that you still have to pay your taxes and insurance because you still own the home. And so people sometimes didn't do that, got behind and actually got foreclosed on because the product didn't have a counseling step where it explained all of those things. The industry let loan officers have the onus of explaining it. I think rightfully so that they decided to do this counseling step to make sure that everybody's on the same page and that it's not up to the salesman who, you know, there's good and bad salesmen out there. We both know that, Mark, and some of them weren't doing a good job. And that's on our side of the street, I think, in our industry that we needed to clean that up. And so now we look at a product that a lot of people have said, oh, I don't like reverse mortgages are going off of information that's very stale. You look at FINRA up until four or five years ago, which FINRA is a uh, a governing kind of licensing body in the financial services industry had the reverse mortgage as a last ditch only type product. That was their official stance on it. It was like, Hey, if you absolutely have to do it, you can do it, but I would not, that's gotta be the last stone you turn over to in the last four or five years, they've now changed it to a viable option. We have like guys like Wade Fowle who are publishing papers and writing books 
about the validity of the product with a financial plan because the one thing that they didn't do over the last 20 years until about the last seven years is do what we do is there was no financial advisor present in that conversation. So when Mark has a client and we talk about a reverse mortgage, not only are they getting the product knowledge from my side, but Mark is going to use his knowledge from the financial services side to make sure whatever transaction we do fits the financial plan and it's going to help them succeed in their retirement. It used to be just sold, like I said, at an infomercial, and it was up to the borrower to understand how it worked. And so there's just so much more care in the product. We don't, I don't solicit reverse mortgages direct to consumer because I think that it makes more sense personally to have an advisor be on board with it, be planning with the proceeds and understanding it because that is going to ensure the success of that family and the financial plan when everybody's on the same page. And so do your research with reverse mortgages if you're looking to if you're looking to do one. You can call us and we'll give our information at the end here. We'd love to run quotes for you, but it's really important. It isn't something that everybody should have, I don't believe. I think there's some people that don't need it, but I do believe that more people do need it than I think society believes. And so we'd love to run numbers and, and just make sure that you understand everything that happens with this loan in your financial plan. And if it doesn't fit, we don't want to do it. And, and so it's a fantastic product. I'm very passionate about it. I speak literally nationally at conferences about this product with financial advisors because I really, truly believe that it's something that when we talk about the generation retiring now that don't have a pension, the generations all before had pensions and a lot of building income and they paid their house off 20 years ahead of time. This generation's retiring with mortgage debt. They're retiring with regular debt, credit card debt. Did your grandparents have credit card debt? No. This generation is going to retire with credit card debt. Student loans too. Yeah. Student loans even, they're, they're having it. So how do we navigate that in the retirement? And the, that's why this product is becoming more prevalent because there's just a lot more debt that we need to clean up at that stage. Okay. I'm looking at a example of what a reverse mortgage might be for somebody. You tell me if this is even in the ballpark, Matt, this is your bread and butter, not mine. But let's say if my home is appraised at 500 grand, let's say I'm 65 years old, I've paid off the house. You know, what kind of even ballpark numbers could I expect to get annually, monthly, under current rates and everything? If I was wanting to live in this house for life, is there even a rough number of what someone might expect? Yeah, there are tables that we can give. Like at that specific thing, you're going to be right at around 50%. To- now, that was the lump sum. So if I wanted to just grab oh, yeah. 200 grand, 250 or something, that would be available to me through the Heckam loan. And then a monthly payment yeah. might be what? 1200 bucks a month for life, something like yeah, that? Yeah, probably, I would say around 1000 to $1,200 a month, okay. just putting this off the top yeah. of my head. But what I would talk about with you, Mark, with your client is if it's not needed, like when you do the reverse mortgage and open up that big availability of equity, if it's not needed, you can leave it in that line of credit and that will grow. So at age 70, you'll have access to like $350,000 of your home. And then you look at either taking, it out as a supplemental retirement stream or taking it out to protect other monies that are being managed by your financial advisor. It's all tax-free. The money, that's one thing we want to make sure we say that out loud, that the equity out of your house that you extract for reverse mortgage is tax-free. It's not earned income. And so when we're talking about, do I want to pull from an IRA where I got to pay tax on the gains or a tax-free equity account, 
A lot of times we want to go to that equity account first so you can maximize your efficiency and the monies that you're spending. The HECM is a conversation of its own because there's a lot of ways that you can utilize it. That's the other thing that changed in the last seven years is they introduced the line of credit option. It used to be just this big lump sum. And now they've really created some nuance to the product that's been able to help people with actually a good amount of retirement savings, mm-hmm. but they know they want to retire in that house and, and, and that's going to be their last home. Utilizing that home equity to say, you know what, we use our home equity to preserve the, the money that we save for life so that our heirs receive the cash that we've put in our trust and made sure it's protected. I'd rather give them a fully funded trust than a half a million dollar house that needs new carpet, new paint, and the lawn mode until you sell it. Yeah. You got to pay a realtor 6%. You just don't have you that know? many kids wanting to buy or inherit, I should say, an old, yep. this old house, so to speak. They, sure. most of them, maybe one in a hundred might, but I'd say most of the children that I meet are more interested in a check yep. from the bank when mom and dad pass. Uh, and that's what happens with the reverse mortgage, correct? Kids get first rights to the equity or to purchase the home. If they don't want to buy the home, then they just get the rest of the equity. Am I incorrect there? There's no change until both spouses pass. The first kin, so the, so the kids basically, if they're still around or the, the, you know, the first generation after them, they can buy the house at the value, the current value plus or minus 5%. So you basically pay 95% of the value of the house if you want to buy it. They can sell it. So if there's equity to be had in the house, they can put it on the market, just like if any other sale. And if there's $100,000 of equity, they would sell it and then split up the proceeds of that. Or let's hope that their parents lived so many years that now the, the loan on the house is more than the value of the home. The kids can just flat out walk away. There's no recourse for the next generation. There's no recourse for probate. There's no recourse for any of that stuff to be tacked onto the next generation. And so they can just walk away from it and they can go through and and split up the rest of the assets. And so it's one of those things that they give you the first right of refusal. If one of the children says, you know what, you know, I do want to buy that house. Guess what your parents did? They saved money to give you a check so that you can pay the down payment to buy their house. And so you can buy it at fair market value. That's a better thing than trying to convince your brothers and sisters to give you a house for free. Now we have the money to pay for it because they saved it. Sure. And so there's a lot in there that is fail safe. It's very much a product that is built to protect the homeowner and the borrower. Whereas 15 years ago, it really wasn't. It just, there wasn't a lot of fail safes and they've really over the last really seven years, almost annually made changes to the product that have been better for the borrower, make it more safe, And that's why you're seeing a lot more people talk about it. And that's why you see Wade Fowle, who doesn't just look at, hey, this is what everybody else is saying. That's probably a bad product. He used his brain and he thought, you know what? Actually, if you utilize it like this, if there's a financial plan behind it, boy, it can not only help people, but it can really transform their retirement. It can be go from a minus to a plus. Well, let's talk in the final moments we have here. Let's talk about how cash out refinances and reverse mm-hmm. mortgages fit with the philosophy of bank on yourself. I know you're very familiar with that concept and strategy. So was our revolutionary audience. So from your mind and as a mortgage banker division president, how does home equity and bank on yourself fit? Yeah, great question. And we work with a lot of bank on yourself advisors and 
feel very lucky to have um, a relationship with Pamela and Tim, and that's been 10, 15 years now in the making. The reason that we have the same philosophy is that truly I know the bank on yourself, and I won't act as if I'm expert in that arena like you are, Mark. To me, it's about cash flow. How much money are we budgeting and sticking to it, and how much cash flow can we create that we are saving into vehicles that have liquidity, that are leveraged with death benefit if bad things happen, but also the ability to take money back out or loan against in a in an efficient manner. It's about not having the bank control your funds. And that's why I'm not a big fan of home equity lines of credit because the bank still owns the equity until you ask for it. And as we saw in 2008, 2010, a lot of those lines of credit got frozen when the economy went bad. And so we like taking the money out on a 30-year fixed mortgage, cash out refinancing, working with your advisor like Mark, him placing it in a place that is safe and liquid and leveraged and so that you have the ability to unlock your equity and utilize it for whatever you see fit because it is your home equity. It's creating and and allowing you to have ownership of it. Home equity is really built two different ways and it gets torn down some ways because equity is built, yes, when you make a mortgage payment, but it's also built when the economy is good. But when the economy is bad, let's say like we talked about earlier, 15 to 20% uh, unemployment rates, if you live in a town where you know the factory or one of the main companies shuts down or furloughs people, and your neighbors start selling out of distress, and they're selling 20% under the market value, that means your equity is walking out the door with your neighbors. So instead of letting, like you said, it sit in the walls because outside factors are, can really contribute to your, your equity going down or even raising, pulling the equity out and then having the ultimate control with your financial advisor whether that's supplemental retirement, whether that's, hey, you know what? I got four daughters and I got to pay for a lot of weddings in the next 10 years. But, you know, that's a real thing that happens. Having a plan and utilizing equity, if that is what is the best plan for it. It's just making, putting the control in the hands of the borrower and the financial advisor of their home equity. And whether they need it or not, if they don't need it and it accumulates over 10 years and you just write a check to pay your mortgage off, I'm not saying that's a good plan, but you have the ability to do that you because you have the leverage and you have the liquidity to make that happen. Um, so good. If you leave it inside the house, the bank makes the rules. Yeah, it sounds like a safe place. Keep my money in the drywall, right? Until you realize yeah. you have to have the bank's permission to break that money free from the drywall. And meanwhile, there are termites and mold like market forces and Zillow and other termites in your walls that could be eroding the value of that home. Meanwhile, we can't use it for things that we need, like our kids' weddings and colleges and and our own retirement. So, Matt, I want to thank you as we're wrapping up here. What's a piece of advice that you would leave for our listeners? Let's say you couldn't leave them any of these cool financial strategies, tactics, but you could leave them a philosophy. What would be, in a sentence or two, something you could leave them, almost like a proverb, for thinking about our home, our money, and our financial future as we face very uncertain times? I would say do an annual mortgage checkup, whether you do it yourself, whether you're checking your value and how much you owe, and maybe just Googling what rates are. I would say have a plan for your home equity that's proactive and not reactive. Work with your advisor, chart to say, hey, I'm 36. By the time I'm 45, I'm going to owe X. And my value at maybe my a small appreciation 
appreciation is going to be why. There may be an opportunity at 45 for us to reach in and grab this equity and do some great things with it. Have that for planning together. Maybe it's not today, but maybe it's in five, 10 years. Having that kind of mindset with your mortgage and treating it like any other financial instrument, an IRA or a 401k or your bank on yourself plan or whatever it is, having a plan for your mortgage equity is just as important because it can really supercharge your financial plan. It's a great eraser of mistakes that you don't have to live in. You don't have to keep seeing that credit card debt every month. You can liquidate that, start saving money and, and start moving in the right direction. And so my proverb is proactive over reactive with your home equity. Try to talk about it with your advisor and try to come up with a plan because man, that kind of stuff, dipping into it one, two, three times over a 30 year period, you're talking about with the growth that you can have couple hundred, half a million, sometimes three quarters of a million dollars worth of wealth you can build by doing that. So good. Matt, thank you for being on our show today. No problem. Wow. What a powerful episode. And again, it just helps to start thinking. And my first takeaway from this episode was a reminder to start thinking proactively about my own home equity. You cannot let this be a reactive piggy bank. If you just see your neighbors across the street building that pool or building out that second story, don't just grab cash out of your home. It's meant to be a proactive asset, just like anything else in your financial life. That was my first takeaway, uh, to think about home equity proactively. The second takeaway for me today was that reverse mortgages are no longer the stuff of late night infomercials. And I would say a takeaway would be get Wade Fowles' second edition of his book, Reverse Mortgages. It's on Kindle, it's on Audible, paperback, of course, hardback. That book is one of the best ones out there describing the reverse mortgage process and how far it's come from late night infomercials. Third takeaway is we may be living in the most perfect time to do a cash out refinance. Now, if you're not old enough to do the reverse mortgage that we mentioned in this episode, and you still don't want to keep the money of home equity in your home trapped in the drywall of your house, try looking into a cash-out refinance. It might make a lot of sense. Now, we're in this very strange phase of the real estate cycle right now where home prices are high and mortgage interest rates are low. And we're helping quite a few clients right now through our firm. One guy in particular is harvesting out $80,000 of home equity out of his house, and he plans to put it into a bank-on-yourself type policy to kickstart his plan. That's going to have a huge positive impact on his overall financial life because of the low interest rates and because of the high home value, his monthly mortgage payment is also gonna go down as a result. How cool is that? So the fourth and final takeaway, if you'd like to talk about any of the real estate strategies mentioned on today's episode, give us a call. We're at 1-800-962-9141, or you can hop on our calendar at nyafinancialpodcast.com and then find the button that says request a meeting. So thank you again, Matt, for coming on our show. Now to the listener shout out, my favorite time of the episode where I get to brag on our super cool audience. Jay Berlin 2 says, great financial podcast. The podcast highlights a great multifaceted financial vehicle and also talks about decisions and mindsets around money. 
very honest and transparent. And thank you, Jay Berlin, too, for that great review. Finally, I want to mention our upcoming live episode that we're recording, Profit First and Bank on Yourself. What about those two topics have you heard about before? Have you read The Bank on Yourself Revolution yet by Pamela Yellen? Have you read Mike Michalowicz's Profit First book? Did you realize and could you start to hear those neurons uh, sizzling in the back of your brain, letting the two concepts roll together of profit first and bank on yourself? If your family or your business are a cash-eating monster, there's a way to use the principles and practices of profit first with the bank on yourself strategy. And I don't think anyone out there is talking about this, but we want to absolutely bring this content to you. And as part of our dear revolutionary, not so average audience, we are wanting to get it to you first. The best way you can do it is to register for the event, which we will have a link to the sign up form in our show notes. The event is Saturday, September 12th, 2020 at 11 a.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. Central. And by the way, if you're not already getting our episodes delivered right to your inbox, what are you waiting for? Don't miss the amazing free content that we're giving out each week. Our email list also gets you on for live calls, office hours, and our Q&A with me and other esteemed guests we have on our show. So to do that, just go to nyafinancialpodcast.com slash subscribe and you can be subscribed to all of our episodes. So thank you very much for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your home equity, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.